Warning, the podcast you are about to listen to will contain detailed plot spoilers. If you do not wish to have the movie ruined for you, I recommend turning the podcast off now. Also, the podcast will contain graphic and explicit language. If you don't think your ears can handle it, turn the podcast off and go change your tampon. You have been warned. Welcome to the Movie Pit Podcast, presented by RMJ Media. Hi, my name is Seth. This is Ryan, and this is the Movie Pit Podcast. It's been a long time since I tried doing this, many years at this point, this first time I've ever had someone to do it with. What do you think about trying your first podcast? I'm very excited for this. I'm stoked to be doing it uh, on some movies and uh, many, many more to come. So, tonight we're going to be talking about the classic Clive Barker. Goddamn mic stand doesn't want to work yeah, with me tonight. Yeah, we're having some technical difficulties with this. I guess it's as tight as it goes, huh? Yeah. Okay. Just hold the mic tonight. All right. I'll buy some more stands. Don't worry about it. So, tonight we're going to be talking about the classic Clive Barker hellraiser from 1987 now i know for a fact that i have seen this movie many many times over the years but you watched it but you have no recollection of it so what do you think about watching it the first time before we really get into this well the first time i watched it i just kind of put it on i think it just is something to have in the background but hopefully maybe kind of pick up enough of the story to to understand the movie um but i i wasn't really paying attention so to actually sit down and focus on just the movie um I, it was awesome. Yep, and it is a good movie to put on in the background because once you see it the first time, you don't really have to sit through the entire thing and watch it from start to finish. You can come and go. You can multitask, do whatever you want to fucking do. Um, but before we start getting really into this, let me give you a... I, I say brief synopsis, but this ain't brief. So bear with me. Hellraiser starts with somewhere in North Africa, Frick... Cotton, played by Sean Chapman, purchases an antique puzzle box from a dealer who asks him, What's your pleasure, sir? Back at his house in England, Frank solves the puzzle box and hook change immediately fly out of the box and tear into his flesh. Demons called Cenobites from another realm appear to inspect Frank's remains. Their leader, Pinhead, portrayed by Doug Bradley, searches among the shreds of flesh and blood and reassembles the pieces of Frank's face. He finds the mysterious box and twists it back into its original shape, and then the room appears empty as if nothing ever happened. Frank's brother Larry Cotton, played by Andrew Robinson, soon moves into the same abandoned house which he and Frank had grown up in, with his second wife Julie Cotton, played by Claire Higgins, who previously had a secret affair with Frank. The house is a mess, leftover food rots in the kitchen, and they both assume that Frank is off on one of his notorious adventures. Frank's teenage daughter, Christy Cotton, played by Ashley Lawrence, chooses not to live with her stepmother and moves into her own place. 
After cutting his hand on a nail while moving a mattress and feeling weak at the sight of blood, Larry goes upstairs to the room where Julia is, the same room where Frank was killed. Larry's blood falls on the floor. As they leave the attic, Larry's blood is sucked through the floorboards where Frank's minimal remains have been hidden. Julia and Christy take Larry to the ER to have his hand stitched up. Frank uses Larry's blood as nourishment to partially regenerate his body. Newly reborn, Frank rises and emits a sudden shriek of pain. Later, Julia finds Frank alone in the room, his body only partially regenerated and extremely grotesque. She's repulsed by his appearance, but Frank convinces Julia to help restore him to his full physical form, reminding her that she was his secret lover and she promised to do anything for him. Julia submit, uh, succumbs to Frank's entries and agrees to help him by seducing men and luring them up to their empty attic where Frank hides. After having Julia in- incapacitate them, Frank is able to move in and drain them of all their blood, which further restores his body. Frank tells, to, Frank tells Julia about the puzzle box, which he has still has, and he shows julia his experiences and explains that by reclaiming his body he has broken the deal with the cenobites he wants to fully regenerate himself and then run off with julia before the cenobites can track him down christy already suspicious of julia eventually sees julia bringing a strange man home and sneaks into the house to investigate in the attic julia beats the man allowing frank to feast on his body christy approaches the attic unaware of what's happening within the doors Suddenly, the bloody man stumbles out of the attic, soon followed by the skinless Frank, who confronts Christy. Before Frank can grab her, Christy picks up the puzzle box as a weapon. When she realizes holds value to Frank, she throws it out the window and escapes from the house, picking up the box as she runs down the street. A disoriented Christy awakens in the hospital, where she tells herself it was all a terrible dream, until a doctor hands her the puzzle box. Christy begins to play with the puzzle box and inadvertently solves it. The walls of her hospital room open a dimensional door with a long tunnel behind it. A large hideous monster begins to chase her and she escapes. When she looks back at the wall, it's sealed up, though she can hear the beast roaring behind it. Suddenly, the walls of the room began to change again and the Cenobites appear. Pinhead tells Christy that she has summoned them and therefore they must take her to their world of pleasure, pain, and suffering. She then begs them to spare her, offering to lead them to Frank in exchange for her freedom. Kirsty escapes the hospital and races to her father's home to warn him about Frank. Larry informs Kirsty that Frank has been taken care of. Though his behavior is strange and she doesn't notice that Frank has blood along his hairline, Kirsty finds a bloody corpse that's been skinned in the attic. The Cenobites appear, demanding the man responsible for this death. Kirsty believes that they want her father, and she runs to warn him. However, she soon realizes that Frank has murdered her father and stolen his skin and is wearing it like a suit to fool Kirsty into believing that he was indeed her father. Frank comes after Kirsty, accidentally stabbing Julia in the process. Frank then drains Julia of all her blood, further nourishing himself. He then goes to the attic where Kirsty is hiding. Kirsty weeps and accuses Frank of murdering her father. Frank reveals to Kirsty that her father was already dead inside anyways. Having heard Frank's confession, the Cenobites appear. Frank tries to kill Kirsty for setting him up, but 
Dozens of hooks grab him, holding him back. His last words are Jesus wept when the chains begin to rip him apart. Kirsty runs through the house, eager to escape, but the Cenobites want to take her as well. Kirsty finds the puzzle box clutched in the hands of Julia's chained corpse on the mattress. Kirsty's boyfriend, Steve, arrives just as Kirsty re- reverses the box to banish the Cenobites. Right before the two can leave the house, the box changes itself once again, and the monster she escaped in the hospital appears. Kirsty is still able to banish the monster, and she, she escapes the house with Steve. Afterward, Christy tries to burn the box in a fire outdoors, but the strange vagrant appears and picks it up out of the flames. As the man is consumed by fire, he transforms into a winged skeletal demon that flies away into the night. In the final scene, the box is shown in the hands of a merchant who originally sold it to Frank, asking another prospective customer, what's your pleasure, sir? So with that being said, what did you like? What didn't you like about the movie? Um, I think that since I'm still relatively new to the whole like horror film scene, like I've seen enough movies and whatnot, a lot of indie films and stuff, but for the most part, 1987, right, is when it came out. Yes, sir. I think that seeing that shit in 1987 would have been like, holy fuck, what am I watching right oh, now? Oh, that movie blew the country up. It was so fucking controversial when it came out. Yeah. Because for... Even for 87, it's a gory fucking flick. Yeah, I mean... They pull no damn punches. Yeah, seeing those hooks, like, just dig into a skin like that, just, like, the first time you really get to see, like, something kind of gory or graphic, you're like, okay, all right, you know, and I, and I well, love yeah, the 80s. Yeah, and, like, the very opening scene, you only get a glimpse of the hooks ripping the flesh at the beginning, but you're immediately after, he's picking up pieces of fucking Frank's face and piecing, putting it back together like a fucking messed up puzzle on the goddamn floor. Well, there's so many pieces otherwise. He, and he's right. not sure exactly which one is Frank's. He's like reaching around. He's like, no, this is Steve. This is Jeff. Yeah. I know I left my Frank pieces around here somewhere. And then he finally assembles them like a Mr. Potato yeah. Head. And like the effects, I think, are the big standout in this film. Always have been for me. And the guys that worked on this film were uh, Dave Chigori uh, and uh, Floyd John, John Hughes. And before this movie, they actually were not known for horror special effects. Okay. They did more fantasy, like, I think Clash of the Titans or Jason on the Argonauts. Okay. So that's what their foray was. But Clive really dug their style and their look that they had to their effect, like their makeup effects and all their gadgets. And they agreed to do this ultraviolet horror flick. And I say ultraviolet, but in all actuality, there's what five kills in the entire movie, but they're pretty gory. I say the goriest ones are the ones that have to deal with Frank. You don't like everything else getting bludgeoned with a hammer and then, of course, when the guy comes out the door with Kirsty there, that's the first time you see, like, the rotten, like... Yeah. Where it looks like their life force has been sucked from their body. Yeah, there was... Watching when he was, like, first animating himself, or reanimating, if you will, from, like, the beating heart from underneath, like, the floorboards reminded me of, like, that old poem or story or whatever about, like, the, the lost lover or something. And yeah. she murdered him and hit him under, and it was drove to insanity from the, the heartbeat or whatever. Um, but like watching the animation, I was like, okay. oh, you're talking a uh, Telltale Heart. 
Telltale Heart. Yeah, that's what I. That's what it reminded me of. Um, because that's all you see is the heart, and then it starts beating. But watching him climb out of like just his own like nothingness, <laughs> I was like, okay, this has got to be stop go animation, which it looked like some of it, and then some of it also like probably like a puppet crew. Just watching him slowly come out as yeah. just his bones and like all the the gore around him. That was that was badass. Yeah. What do you uh, What do you think about overall the acting, the performances in the movie? Honestly, I felt like in the beginning of it, it felt de- a very kind of like just like B filmish. But I feel like as the That's somehow fair. as the characters understood like what their you know portrayal was in the movie they got better as the movie progressed i actually agree with that because i think actually the worst performer in the movie is actually frank uh well he didn't have that many lines (laughs) thank god for that (laughs) Uh, now one of my big complaints with this movie is i got two and they all had to do with fucking frank the scene where uh larry and julia are getting ready to make love on the bed and Frank comes out from the closet. That is a pointless scene to have him sitting there cutting the skin off a fucking rat and just flipping it over. It served no point at yeah. all. I wasn't <laughs> sure if like that was him like threatening her, like, look, if you fuck him, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna skin him alive, you know what I mean? Because she didn't want him to kill him. I can see that. And I honestly at first I thought the reason she didn't want to kill him is because he had a daughter, but I mean in every scene that they interact with each other, she gave her like just that that fucking stupid, like that mean devilish bitch face. Oh yeah. She definitely had that resting <laughs> as you called it, the resting menace face. So <laughs> yeah. um and in all fairness, I have not read Clive Barker's original story of this. Hmm. And it is a pretty long, so maybe that had more to play in the actual written version of it. And he just had to throw it in there because it is him writing the screenplay version and directing on something that he wrote. Okay. And anybody who's in control of their own stuff can be very narcissistic. (laughs) So I, I can get that. Um, the other standout, I think, with this movie, it comes in the form of the cinematography. Uh, the use of shadows and low-key lighting really set the mood, mm-hmm. to, especially when they're in the attic or whenever the Cenobite show where it's just rays of light coming through the walls and shit. Just gives it a nice ambient feel to it. Yeah, it was very creepy. Just even if it looked like they were pallets, but I mean, just having the white light kind of like strobe through them was very yeah. It was creepy too, and it's, it's almost like you know that they're demons, but having the lights go the way they are, it could also be like an alien yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what else did you think about the film? Uh, I loved it. Let me see. Um, let's see here. My notes. No, I just kind of wrote down the names and the reference to the Telltale Heart. Um, Overall, I I loved it. I'm um, I liked how at the end, where you kind of see uh, the camera, you know, zoom out and you see Christy like at the moment, but she's actually in the box as if the as if the key or the box or the cube has its own stories to tell, and that yeah. we were just like witnessing a story that is, inside of the cube yeah, while it's being sold again. That is definitely a way that you could look at it. Um, I would like to think Clive Barker would like you to think that, but I just thought it. he probably thinks it would. Hell, that's a really cool fucking transition. Let's zoom out. <laughs> zoom out. We'll go back to the original table where the guy, here, what's your pleasure? Yeah. But, yeah, I, I like the fact, I love movies 
that are open to interpretation. Even if it's one small bit of it, if it makes people use their brains, which is very uncommon anymore, it, it's, that's what filmmaking is all about. You don't want to give it to, sure, a straightforward story is good, but leave something to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Fill in your own holes right. with your, fuck if I know, just whatever you can come up with in your, in your head, that's what happened in the movie. Yeah. Like I, we were talking earlier today, it's kind of like the Saint Elsewhere bullshit, where it's cop out endings, like uh, it that it's all in somebody's head or it didn't really happen. Those kind of endings piss me the fuck off. <laughs> Hands down. And at least this one, you know what happened happened. Mm-hmm. Because the way I like to look at it is that the bum that turned into the demon flew off with the box. That's the old guy sitting uh, at the table. Oh, okay. I could see that. That's, and, yeah, hence him selling it again. That's yep, who went swooped it up. It's an endless cycle is the way I like to look at it. Okay. Staple of horror movies. And some fell miserably, but this one did a great job, is in the uh, music and the audio mixing. Yeah. Like, even when it's they're just alone in the attic, the sometimes, sometimes the absence of sound is really good with a horror flick, but even the little subtle noises that they use in this and the creepy music that they use really set the mode and... I remember seeing this movie at probably an age I was way too fucking young to see it. <laughs> yeah. um, it, was, it was probably the early 90s, back at, in the day of VHSs, if you know what those are. Beta Max. <laughs> right. <laughs> Target had a two VHS box set. It was Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 Hellbound. And yeah, asked my mom, hey, can I buy that? Like, you've probably seen worse. Go ahead. Uh, my Get now. home. That opening scene comes on. My mom's like, what the fuck are you watching? I'm like, you bought it for me. Like, is this literally what I just bought you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was back, like, there was no digital remastering. So it had all the fucking film deterioration. Oh, that's the all best. All that shit. Yeah. It, and to me, that gives movie character. 100%. That grainy feel makes it creepier. No, don't get me wrong. I love Blu-ray and digitally remastered to make it look the way it used to. But that's what I miss about VHS. It's kind of like vinyl. Yeah. Vinyl sounds better because it shows wear and tear over time. Right. It gets more warm sounding over time. It's not the same movie you bought. No. Or or record. Yeah. Yeah. So the more and more you watch a VHS, it starts to get a little fucking wear and tear. You start seeing the scragglies through fucking with the tracking come on come on on with the little screwdriver trying to make it it gives it fucking it gives it a different kind of feeling to it it gives Mm -hmm. it its own emotion Uh, which like i said i love dvds blu-rays all that shit 4k but i'm old school when it comes to shit like that i i want to see the fucking wear and tear yeah absolutely like (laughs) digital remastering is like plastic surgery <laughs> i'll never have plastic surgery because i like the wear and tear on my body <laughs> i don't need a facelift on my favorite horror film i just want to see it all shitty and grainy and just like i remembered as a kid yeah praying to god the tracking doesn't get too shitty that i can not watch it anymore 
that kept happening to me on Maximum Overdrive. I remember just sitting there trying to fuck with it because I wanted to keep watching it. But I watched that movie so many times. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. It, it's a terrible movie. It is. God, I loved damn, it. Damn, is it good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so did you have any high, low expectations going um, into this? I feel like, just like you had mentioned in the little synopsis about how when Chrissy goes and meets up with her dad or who she thinks is her dad while well, you know, he's wearing like an Edgar suit or but for right? Larry... <laughs> Um, that's a men in black yeah. reference people. <laughs> we, we might do that one later who knows uh, but the fact that you can clearly see that there's just blood all along his like hairline and now don't get me wrong oh yeah and his ear looks like it's half chewed yeah. off I mean don't get me wrong she's been through some hell right yeah. uh, but I mean at the same time as you said she was visibly distressed oh my god there was multiple times where nobody even had thought twice about how disheveled and distressed <laughs> this woman looked and she's a younger girl too and she looked like she'd been assaulted and all kinds of shit and no one even like blinked an eye like the fact that the, she looked the like nun. the kind of girl that if she came into our shop i'd be blue dot yeah blue dot and then something and then it's like i think you're homeless uh and how the nuns just like didn't even help her at all and I oh that was my favorite that part. was their job is to, like help people and they're like no this catholic bitch, church yeah, this bitch is here's your up. sign <laughs> yeah. she doesn't she looks like she'd take money from the the, <laughs> the sharing plate um but how how i guess naive she was in it kind of irrit- irritated me a little bit but yeah. at the same time it's like that's she was going through some shit so weird stuff like that i guess just wasn't too uncommon or, or like far-fetched like but i don't know she, i expected her to be a little more skeptical of like what was going on especially when her oh absolutely her dad was clearly not her dad anymore so that begs a very big question i've had since the early 90s i understand that frank skinned her father and wore her like an edgar suit as you would say how the fuck did he steal his voice? Yeah. Because Frank and Larry had very distinctively different voices. Maybe he got his voice box with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a filter? Uh, yeah, that, that has always, every time I watch the movie, that's the one thing that always grinds on me is the fucking voice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that it wasn't like, I don't know, excessively dripping, I guess. I, it, it fit very snugly, and they looked like they had different body types. I mean, But still, the entire, it was like literally like Leatherface had came, peeled off the face, he glued it on there. You could see the cut lines. It literally was the hairline. It, yeah. It, dude. It would be noticed. I'd be Frank dead. Was what happened? Frank was jacked, and Larry was like, uh, had the body frame of like. Yeah. Nowhere near being this jacked, like adventurous guy who clearly wants to fuck with demons, and he he's like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna get this crazy box. I'm gonna get a bunch of candles, put them in a square. I'm gonna fuck with this thing and see what happens. And then it takes me to this like dimension of like heaven slash hell, pain slash pleasure. And then he comes back, and then he's trying to. I would imagine that his, you know, uh, makeup muscularly should still be the same. He would not have fit into his brother's oh, uh, no. skin by like, any means. It should have been more like, again, you're going to go back to the men in black, Edgar suit. Yeah, it should have been all hanging. The body shit. didn't fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he went from a medium to a small. And <laughs> he, yeah. But I loved it. Honestly, I, I, would, I could absolutely see myself like watching that over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. um, I'm eager to watch the rest of them. And I want to see 
uh, I, I, kind of like going back on what you were saying about how you leave a little bit to the imagination. Mm-hmm. When you watch the first one, and you automatically just kind of assume that there's going to be a second, and yeah. obviously these are old as shit and we know it, but like taking some of what your theories were about the first one and then maybe seeing if some of them come true, you know, in the second or third or like how they pay homage to like the previous ones or whatever. Um, I'm looking forward to that too. Oh yeah. Have you seen any of the sequels, even parts like happen? I want to say I started the second one. Like I I finished the first one, you know, just something in the background. And I remember putting on the second one, uh, but I might've fell asleep. So like, I, I really don't have any pre, you know, um, expectations or anything like that i'm just i'm stoked to see it well i can give you a little bit of a preview i'm down kirsty is in a mental asylum okay that makes sense in the second one and it goes to very bizarre place okay it you actually get to go to their world in the second one see a part of me feels like i've seen their world and the other characters like all red character like i'm picturing like all red Maybe like skinless characters or something, mm-hmm. um, or maybe in like red gown, red gear or something. Um, I I've, I feel like I've seen other characters. I th- I think you have seen it because what you just described—the red outfit and shit—does there is a sequence in it mm-hmm. because it very much replicates what you see in this film, but differently. Because literally, part two picks up. Right where the first one leaves off. Hell yeah. Pretty much starts with them cleaning out the house okay. from the murders and everything. But that's all I'll say about that. Um, what did you think of the design of the Cenobites? Uh, again, I think for seeing something in 87, that wasn't really, I mean, that wasn't really like anything else. It was like mm, like bondage meets, you know, gore. Um Pinhead, his makeup was done okay, but you can definitely tell some of the shit didn't line up, I think, as much as maybe they wanted it to. They do improve upon that later yeah. on down the franchise. Um, definitely the sign of a times. You have the leader of the Cenobites, Pinhead. Then you got the Chatterer. Then you got Butterball. And the fourth one is just called Female Cenobite. <laughs> the, <laughs> They're real creative on that one. Yeah, they don't even bother giving the bitch a name. Just <laughs> female like, son of a... I didn't actually know females had names. Um, and Butterball looked more like a fucking ball sack than a Butterball. Yeah, he... he. I was like, are they going like for sloth? Like, are they going <laughs> right. for the seven deadly sins? Because it was like pleasure and pain. And like, I'm eager to kind of find out more of the backstory of what they... Come, like, are they demons? Or are they just creatures from like a different dimension? Or, or whatever their backstory is, I'm eager to find out why they are and i can give you another bit of a preview hellraiser 3 does give you a little bit of a pinhead backstory okay like when he's a little baby pinhead Uh, (laughs) when he's growing up oh it's retconned as fuck but it works for the movie Uh, so yeah there's we obviously just watched hellraiser so we have hellraiser 2 hellbound there's hellraiser 3 hell on earth followed by at the time where every fucking horror genre had to do it, Pinhead in Space, All Bloodline. Right. Then you had, I want to say, Hellraiser Inferno, followed by Hellraiser Hellseeker. Mm-hmm. And then you had Debtor, Hellworld, 
Revelations, which was the first one that did not star J- Doug Bradley in the movie. <laughs> I'll spoil my feelings on that one. Is God fucking awful? And then you have uh, Judgment, which I still actually have not seen that one. But I'm actually looking forward to next Wednesday when they reboot Hellraiser with a female pinhead. So is it gonna? Are they gonna do like a legit like copy and paste of it, or is it like a reboot slash reimagining? That is, I'm literally. I watched the trailer. That's all I want to do. I don't want to read anything That's up fair. on it yeah. until I see it the first time. No expectations is way better. Yeah, yeah. Because if I know what it is, the storyline is going going in. I'm gonna set my bar at a certain level. Yeah, and I can either be very, very disappointed, or very, very pleased and excited. Yeah. But when it comes to most re- most remakes and reboots, it yeah, teeters you, down on the. You walk away side. sometimes being like, I, I would have been happier not watching that. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, fuck. Um, what was the movie uh, remade? Like, oh shit, Night of the Living Dead. Original was a classic, classic fucking movie, and again, kind of like Hellraiser for its time, nineteen sixty eight. That was a rough movie to fucking watch. And it's all Pup- black and white too, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Then in the early nineties, again written by the originals writer George A. Romero, they remade it with Tom Savini in the director's chair, and it is a good movie. But the fact that because when they made Night of the Living Dead, it was called Night of the Flesh Eaters. All right. So their copyright was for Night of the Flesh Eaters. When they changed the name to Night of the Living Dead, no one bothered to change their copyright. So Night of the Living Dead fell into the world of public domain. Hmm. So anybody, me and you, could go out, write a script called Night of the Living Dead, shoot it no matter how fucking bad it is. That's why you see so many new versions of it coming out, remake after remake after remake, because somebody didn't go to the copyright office. And Oops. George Romero hasn't seen a single cent from that movie. Wow. Well, he won't anymore. Rest in peace. So are you looking forward to going down the Hellraiser route? Would you like to go straight down the route or kind of mix it up, come back to it? Um, that's a good question. Like, um, well, I guess we could just do, I don't know. I've, I've already started the first one. I'm hoping that if the story, you know, gets worse then I just want gratuitous gore. That's kind of what I'm looking for. I want just like, hell yeah, kill the fuck out of that dude. Like here and that shit. Um, or even just like the gratuitous, like sex scenes that are just awful. Who knows what's going to happen. Um, this one was just like, had like a lot of, um, Definitely shit that wouldn't fly today, that's for sure. But there was definitely uh, some aggressive scenes in it that you're just like, huh, all right. That's Oh, yeah, that's they the definitely give it a little more censored nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, uh, because I'm still kind of new to the classics, uh, I'm super down to check out Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, or Friday the 13th, um, rewatch Night of the Living Dead. Um, the sky's the limit right now at this point. I'm, I'm just stoked to, to be getting to enjoy some badass old classic films and, and get to talk to them with you know somebody yeah. that I know that knows their shit. Um, so I'm I'm just along for the ride. This is a good time. Yeah, and the format of this might change over time because like this is the first first one. We're still getting to l- learn the equipment, and 
like I said, things change over time. That's not a bad thing. Hell, maybe one of these episodes will be us, you hearing us bullshit while watching the damn movie. Yeah. And, and have more people on it with us too, you know, uh, hopefully yeah. some, some dope ass guests. I, I know we both know a lot of people who like to talk about this shit, so we can definitely, uh, you know, have some, some additional input than just us rambling about. Oh it. yeah. <laughs> you, I, I can ramble and ramble. Uh, but for the first podcast, we will cut it short. Uh, mainly just because I said this is our trial run. See how it sounds in the editing booth. And next time, you, uh, I'm thinking next movie will be the movie I was going to surprise you with. I'm down. Now, I'll tell you the title of it. Don't go looking into it because this is... Probably the most controversial movie ever made. I want you to watch a Serbian film. Okay. I want to say I have heard about that. Uh, Chances are you've heard of it. Yeah. It was a notorious movie for being banned in most countries in the world. (laughs) If we can get our hands on it, I am down to watch it. Oh. Trust me. We can get our hands on it. I already checked. (laughs) All right. It's available. All right. Anything else you'd like to say? No. Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm excited for this and looking forward to more. And, uh, you know, stick around. We'll, this will get better, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on our first, ep- uh, first episode of The Movie Pit. And that name might also change. But until then, till next time, kitties. Thank you for listening to this, the Movie Pit Movie Review. We hope you have enjoyed your time. Come back to the Movie Pit Podcast each week for a new movie review podcast. The Movie Pit is produced by... Ryan Boozer Johnson and Seth Chapman. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of RMJ Media Incorporated. See you next week.